of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. One of my favorite musicals has always been Annie. I'm very picky about musical theater. I have strong opinions about musical theater. And speaking as a musician, I don't think that Annie is the most musically interesting um, piece that is out there, but the story is so compelling that the story drives it um, in spite of that. When it's, when it's well done, it's one of those shows that can transport you far away. I'm pretty sure that my sister and I were out at least one VHS copy of the older movie version of it when we were growing up. Um, it's possible that's where I got the idea to, to tease her as children, that she was adopted and she had to behave herself or she was going to be sent back. I was not nice to my sister when we were kids. Um, and in this, in this musical and um, the movies that have come from it, Little Orphan Annie's hope is that she'll one day have a family. And that, that makes me think about this passage. It's sort of the driving force behind this section of Galatians. Annie has more hope and determination and faith than just about anyone I can think of. She just knows that there is something better for her, that life is not meant to be a life holed up in a crummy orphanage under the rule of a nasty, weird woman who really doesn't care about her charges. Somewhere out there is someone who will love her and care for her and provide for her. The capstone song of the musical that Annie sings is tomorrow. The sun will come out tomorrow. This story, I believe, resonates with so many people because we can all sympathize with this longing to fit in somewhere. This desire to be a part of something bigger than herself. Her faith that there is something better out there for her. She just knows there's a family out there waiting for her. In the early church, people sensed that this Christianity thing was about being a part of something bigger. If you ask people today who are searching for some sort of spiritual experience or religion, they will generally tell you that they are looking because they want to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. There seems to be this drive to figure out how to be a part of this something bigger. Now, rites of passage to enter into spiritual communities are very important. Look at the ways we celebrate in our faith. We baptize the very new into the community. We confirm the slightly less new after they spend time studying theology and the practices of our denomination. We welcome new members formally, asking them to profess their faith up front. 
We ordain those who are going into leadership positions. And these are all good things as long as we remember why we are doing them. And the trouble in our passage in Galatians is that there were these mixed ideas in the church about what being a Christian means and how much importance should be given to certain rites and practices. Because Paul is writing to a church from mixed backgrounds. There were these two types of Christians. We've talked about this before, even within the past few weeks. The Jewish Christians who were were Jewish but accepted Jesus as the Messiah and a continuation of their Jewish faith and customs. And then there were the Gentile Christians, those who'd converted from other religions, primarily these pagan Greek religions that were around at the time. The Jewish Christians continued to follow the practices of circumcision and kosher food law, other Jewish laws and customs, and they insisted that in order to worship with them, the Gentile Christians had to do the same. They had to come from the same background. They demanded that they must be converted fully to Judaism as well as to Christianity. Paul spends a great deal of time in his letters scolding the churches for this sort of thing. Go through some time and read the letters and circle how many times Paul is talking about circumcision versus non-circumcision. He says it's not about the law. Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf is like the moment when a minor is no longer subject to the law overseeing their trust or inheritance. We've been adopted by God. And since Jesus came, we're full family. We're not over or under the oversight of the law anymore. The inheritance has gone out of trust. It doesn't mean we can be frivolous and do whatever we want, but it means that our inheritance is not based on our ability to follow the law. It's not being held in trust for us anymore. We are not slaves anymore, Paul says. We're not even just freed people. We are full children, members of the family. Paul is not being over sentimental here. To say that we are simply freed from slavery is a big deal, but this is an even bigger deal than that. We are freed from slavery and made a full part of God's family through adoption. When a slave is legally freed by their debt being bought off, or the law changing, then they're just out loose in the community to fend for themselves. Even after slaves in the United States were freed legally, they had many obstacles to overcome. They still have many obstacles to overcome in our culture. There was still this stigma of former slavery on them. And especially in the southern United States, African Americans still have to deal with the repercussions of slavery today, even though they are legally free. What Paul is talking about is not just legal freedom. It's total freedom, no stigma, no repercussions. And it not only frees us from debt or enslavement, it makes us full heirs, part of the family. It's not about the circumcision and the law. It's not about the background from which a person comes to the faith community. It's not about how they wind up in the faith community community because that is not what our salvation hinges on. It's about the fact that we are all adopted 
and are therefore brothers and sisters in Christ. With all our diversity and quirks and differences, all of our cultural and social backgrounds, Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, whatever. Brothers and sisters in Christ by adoption into full sonship and daughterhood of the almighty God who saved us out of slavery through Jesus Christ the Son. Tim and I had a foster son for a few years and I meant to bring a picture with me and I forgot it this morning in my hurry. Um, And he's all grown up now, but you'll still occasionally see him with us and in family pictures from the holidays. And if you've met Brandon, you may understand why we often get funny looks when we're out together as a whole family. (laughs) Brandon looks a quite bit different than the rest of us do. His nickname in my phone is Giant Sun because he's easily twice my size. Uh, He's a very tall African-American kid. He's not really a kid. He's only 10 or 12 years younger than us. (laughs) But we have this great picture of Brandon and Gloria walking down the street into the sunset on Gloria's third birthday. We were walking to the movie at the park by our house, and we told Gloria she had to hold somebody's hand. We didn't care whose hand she held as long as she held a hand while she was walking down the street. And so she grabbed her big brother's hand, and we've got this this picture of them, and there's the sunset in the background. And his hand is stretched about as far down as it can possibly go. And her hand is stretched up about as far as it can possibly go. And the sun is just gleaming off of Gloria's blonde curls. And she's wearing a tutu because she was a three-year-old girl. And Brandon's long dreadlocks touch his back. And he's wearing all dark colors next to Gloria's flamboyant princess outfit. And the sun setting at the end of the road just silhouettes them. Perfectly, It is my favorite family photo ever. It hangs in a prominent place in our living room as a reminder to all of us that family isn't about sameness. It's about unity. It wasn't always easy fostering a teenage boy who came from a very different background than any of us in our house. But in that moment, I looked at Gloria and Brandon, hand in hand, walking down the street, and they were brother and sister. They were family. No matter how many funny looks we get when we show people pictures of all of our kids together, or how many people say, oh, good for you, as if our giant dreadlocked son is more charity than family member, he's a part of our family. He was never legally adopted because he was so old already when he came to live with us. We would have like timed out of the process before he turned 18. Uh, But in our hearts, he is one of us. It doesn't matter that Gloria kicked my intestines for nine months or that Brandon came to us via court order. The fact of the matter is that they are both just as much loved and part of the family. We come from all over the place, both in this congregation and in the church as a whole. But wherever we come from, we are part of the family. And sometimes that means we wind up walking down the street into the sunset hand in hand with a very unexpected person. Sometimes that means getting funny looks from people because we're working side by side with someone nobody would expect to see us with. When we see those around us as fellow adoptees into God's family, we begin to see them differently. It changes the way that we interact with one another. Um, There's this song called Christ 
as a light, and I listen to it many mornings as a reminder of this. It's a prayer that Christ would be the light and the guide of the whole day. And my favorite line is, Christ in the heart of those to whom I speak, Christ in the mouth of those who speak unto me. In other words, let all the things that I say and do around other people today be filled with Jesus. For the record, I have yet to finish a day and think, yes, I really nailed it today. But there are plenty of moments in which this very purposeful way of approaching other people as beloved by Jesus, as representatives of Jesus, to whom I am asked to represent Jesus. This stops me from saying things I'll probably regret sometimes. I still say things I'll regret from time to time. But seeing people in the light of their relationship to God who loves them as much as God loves you really changes the game. When we accept this adoption, both of ourselves and those around us, we interact with God differently, too. We pray differently. Our prayers change when we realize that we have hundreds of thousands of brothers and sisters around the globe. We pray differently when we realize we are talking not to some distant, cold deity off in space, but rather to a loving God who has adopted us and given us full inheritance in the kingdom of heaven. Our prayers can tell us a great deal about how truly we believe that we are adopted by God, our loving Father. When we know this, really know it, we see ourselves differently. There's a confidence with, that comes with knowing that we are accepted by God, flaws and all, no matter where we come from. There is a freedom in knowing that you don't have to have your ducks all in a row. So, my dear ones, here is your prayer prompt for this week. I did not forget while I was away. I've got a new one fresh and ready for you. Here's your prayer, week, or prayer prompt this week as we continue our identity search as a congregation. Who is it that needs someone to hold hands with as they walk down the street? In what ways are we failing to see others as fully adopted members of God's family? In what ways are we failing to live into our own joyful identity as fully adopted members of God's family? No guilt, no stigma. Let us pray. Lord, help us to accept our identity as your heirs, not just freed from sin, but adopted by the one who conquers sin. Help us to see those around us as brothers and sisters, really and truly, not just in some Christianese, faith-talky way. Show us how to shape what we do, not just based on who we are, but based on who is around us searching for you. Amen.